Imagine with me for a moment that you have just been put in an arena with a large, hungry tiger. You have nowhere to hide. This massive, powerful beast has you fixed in its gaze. Imagine the physical reaction of your body. What kind of reaction would you have to that kind of dread? Heart pounding, your muscles tensing, sweat pouring down your face. Imagine the intensity of that moment. Change the scenario. Now you're standing in an open field and just ahead coming straight towards you is an F5 tornado. You have nowhere to hide. You can't outrun this thing. What's that like standing for, before this powerful force of nature? How terrifying would that be to you? Okay, here's another scenario that maybe will hit a little closer to home for some of you. Imagine that I were to call on one of you to come up here and speak about yourself for the next 30 minutes. Some of you are squirming in your chairs right now, hoping that I'm not being serious here. Uh, you haven't had any time to prepare. Everyone's listening eagerly to what you have to say. Okay, for some of you, maybe that would make you a little bit nervous, slightly anxious. But I suspect for others of you, that would be absolutely terrifying. What if I say something stupid? What would people think about me? All right, now imagine that you are standing before God himself in his heavenly throne room. Does that terrify you? Should that terrify you? Maybe that idea seems uh, too far off, too distant from reality to imagine. Does it unsettle you at all to know that the God who made the tiger, the God who made the F5 tornado, the God who made human beings watching you in his image, is here with us now in this room. The God who sits above enthroned above the cherubim, who spoke all galaxies into existence, who spoke the tiniest molecules and atoms into existence. Do you fear him? This morning, we're going to be considering what the scriptures have to say about our fears and the fear of God. Our scripture lessons we just heard from Deuteronomy 31, 2 Corinthians 5, and Matthew 10 all talk about the kinds of fears we as the people of God need to put away or the kinds of fears that we need to put in perspective. They also talk about a kind of fear that we need to have, that we need to learn and to grow in. These passages speak of the fear of death and loss, the fear of man's approval, the fear of our enemies and the persecution they might bring. These passages also contrast those fears with a different kind of fear, a greater fear that should trump all these lesser fears, the fear of God. The 17th century Dutch theologian 
Wilhelmus Abrackel, mouthful of a name, said, fear issues forth from love. Fear issues forth from love. What did he mean? Our fears show us our loves. Do you fear losing someone dear to you? That's because you love that person dearly. Do you fear pain? That's because you have a kind of self-love that desires your own well-being. Do you fear losing your job or losing your money, your possessions, or your status? These fears show you an underlying love that you have. Now, it isn't wrong to have these loves or these fears necessarily, but, the, but what these scripture texts teach us is that there should be a kind of proper ordering of these fears. We need to have our fears prioritized. Just as you should love God above all else, above money, possessions, even family, so we should fear God above all else. Okay, so are you just saying that I, I just need to be really, really afraid of God? Well, the answer to that depends on whether there is a reason you should be afraid of God. Scripture presents two kinds of fears of God. One kind of fear is a reverence or awe of God that regards Him as He ought to be regarded. God is transcendent and holy and other than us, beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And there's a kind of fear that gives Him His proper due. The other kind of fear is a terror or dread of God with respect to His wrathful judgment. The first kind of fear is worshipful, a fear that moves toward God, that desires to be with Him, albeit with trepidation and trembling. The second kind of fear is shameful, a fear that wants to move away from God. Adam failed to maintain the first kind of fear. That first kind of reverent fear of God should have resulted in Adam obeying God's commands. And as a result of his sin, Adam experienced the second kind of fear. He hid in shame from God's fearful judgment of him. Scripture commands us and exhorts us to have the first kind of fear. To fear God above everything else. This kind of fear is what John Murray called the soul of godliness. It's the sum of true piety. Listen to a few of the ways that the scriptures describe this kind of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. This kind of fear compels us to hate what is evil, to love what is good. The Lord blesses the man who fears the Lord. He makes known his covenant and secrets to him who fears the Lord. His mercy is great towards those who fear him. He has compassion. We heard this morning, he has compassion on those who fear him. Like a father has compassion on his children. For those who fear the Lord, there is no lack. The Lord takes care of those who fear him. In the narratives of scripture, 
Those who fear the Lord are those who follow Him wholeheartedly, who do what He commands. This kind of fear results in total and complete loyalty to God alone. Now, we'll return to the second kind of fear, the fear of judgment, a little later. But for now, I want us to turn our attention to our scripture lessons. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is giving his farewell instructions to Israel before they cross over the Jordan and finish conquering the land. They're finally about to gain their inheritance that the Lord has promised them. Moses is not going with them, but he's reminding them that the Lord is going with them. The Lord is going with you and before you. He will not leave you or forsake you. They have the Lord's promises. He will not forget his covenant. And so Moses tells them, in light of this, be strong, be courageous. Do not be in fear or in dread of the nations of the land. Israel is about to go into a land of giants and wicked, violent nations to dispossess them and to take the land that God has promised them. The Lord has promised this tremendous blessing and a land for them to dwell in, a land for Him to establish His house that they may worship Him and teach their children about Him. But they're going to have to fulfill the mission that the Lord has called them to. They're going to need to trust the Lord through some terrifying battles, terrifying situations. Moses tells them, do not fear. Do not be dismayed. He says to God's people, look at what the Lord did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. Okay, look at what he just did to these kings. He will do it again. Joshua will later tell the people that the Lord dried up the Jordan, for them to cross, just as he had done with the Red Sea when they left Egypt. And this is interesting. This is what he says. He says he did these things so that the people may fear the Lord, your God, forever. The Lord does these marvelous works on behalf of his people so that they may fear him and revere his name above all others. The Lord is saying, the trials you are about to encounter throughout the mission I've called you to, might look terrifying. You might be tempted to be afraid of them. But remember the works I've done. Remember how I've delivered you in the past. And fear me above all else. Moses reminds the people of the Lord's promises. That He will be with you. That He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. The text then tells us that Moses writes down this law. He writes down the law that he's been giving them throughout the sermon in Deuteronomy and gives it to the priests and the elders and commands them to read the law, read God's word to all the people. This is what he tells them to do. This is verse 12 of chapter 31. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. The people need to hear the word 
so that they may learn to fear God and walk in His commands. They need to hear the Word so that they can understand who God is and what He has done for them and what He is calling them to do, how to live. The children and the next generation need to hear the acts of the Lord, of His faithfulness, so that they too can learn to fear the Lord. In Deuteronomy, this phrase, learning the fear of the Lord, shows up several times. And each time it's specified that the people will learn through the public reading and hearing of the Word, except one other time. In Deuteronomy 14, there it says the people are to learn the fear of the Lord by eating in the presence of the Lord at the place where the Lord chooses to establish His name. Through the eating of the covenant meal with the Lord, the people will learn the fear of the Lord. So you have the hearing of the Word and the eating in the presence of the Lord as the means to learn how to fear the Lord. That's what we're doing here today, right? That's what we do when we gather every Lord's Day. We're hearing the Word sung, read, and preached. We're eating the covenant meal in the presence of our God. These are the means God uses to teach us the fear of the Lord. In the midst of our mission that the Lord has sent us on to go and disciple the nations, He calls us week after week to come here to this place and learn the fear of the Lord. Don't be afraid of the enemies, but fear the Lord. Don't fear death or defeat. Learn the fear of the Lord. With everything going on in the world, there are all kinds of things we are tempted to be afraid of, right? We live in the midst of a godless culture and many godless leaders that are promoting every abomination under the sun. We have 24-7 news cycles that run on promoting every kind of fear imaginable. Economic recession, new strains of a virus, political unrest, wars. And if that's not bad enough, we also have social media. Okay, social media where there's thousands of articles being shared about something that you really need to be afraid of that you didn't know about. Don't let your kids do this one thing. Or if you're eating this kind of food, I'm sorry, you're probably not going to make it. We're constantly being invited to learn the fears of the world. The Lord gives us a standing invitation every week to come here and learn the fear of the Lord. We come here to put all other fears in perspective. It's through the word and sacrament that we are trained to rightly prioritize our fears. Do not fear or be dismayed. Learn the fear of the Lord. Our epistle lesson addresses a different kind of fear. Paul in 2 Corinthians is defending, among other things, the validity of his ministry to the church against these quote-unquote super apostles. These false apostles are claiming to be superior to Paul, to have more credibility. They're boasting about their outward appearance and the success of their ministry. Meanwhile, Paul appears to lack the same signs of success and popularity that they have. Paul has afflictions and persecutions and humble speaking skills. The super apostles have money 
popularity, great rhetoric. Paul has suffering. They seem to have all the glory. These super apostles love the approval of men. They are motivated by a fear of man, a fear of losing the people's favor. Paul tells the Corinthians, what we are is known to God. Okay, like the collect of pur for purity we heard this morning. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Okay, depending on what side you're on, that could be a terrifying thought. Paul says what we are is known to God. The motivation behind what we do is laid bare. It's open before God. These super apostles can't fool God. He knows what their true desires and motives are. Paul says we know the fear of the Lord. We know what, that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done, whether good or evil. Paul doesn't operate his ministry based on the fear of man, whether he's popular, whether he looks successful, whether he has the most likes or clicks. He pursues his ministry knowing the fear of the Lord, that he must stand before Christ to give an account. Jesus also warned about those who practice righteousness to be seen by others. Repeatedly, he calls the Pharisees out for their fear of man. They wanted to get their hands on Jesus so many times, but they feared the crowds. They're constantly having to shift to make sure they don't say something that's going to upset the people. I can't answer that question about John the Baptist because the people love John the Baptist and think he's a prophet. So they have to constantly shift and maneuver because they're worried about getting canceled. Okay, they're constantly shifting because of this fear of man. They loved the respect and the favor of the crowds. They loved the titles and the best seats and the places of honor at the feast. They made their prayers extra long for show to appear very righteous. They made sure everyone knew about their charity to the poor and about their fasting. Jesus said, they have their reward. You want the attention and praise of men? Well, that's all you'll get as your reward. Are you focused on appearing good in front of others rather than being good to please your Father in heaven? Do you value the favor of man more than the favor of God? Are you more afraid of what other people think about you than what God thinks about you? Now, this is not an exhortation to a kind of paralyzing introspection that has you constantly worried about your motives, afraid to do anything. But Jesus' warnings indicate that he does care about our motives. Whose judgment do you fear most? The judgment of friends, of powerful people, the elite, the cool people, or the judgment of God? Whose opinion matters most to you? Do you crave respectability or popularity more than the approval of God? Paul addresses a related issue to the fear of man in the letter to the Colossians, speaking to slaves in particular. He says, slaves, obey those who are your masters in everything, not with eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, 
fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Okay, don't do your work as eye service. We've all seen this, right? People in the workplace who want to really look productive when the boss is around, but are okay kicking back when he or she is gone. Okay, they start to get frantically busy when someone important is looking on. They want to take credit and jump in on a project that they haven't done the work themselves for and not contribute themselves. Those who fear the Lord have an audience of one. They do their work unto the Lord, knowing that it is Him they serve. Those who fear the Lord are getting after it, regardless of who else is watching, because they know one person is always watching. You can't please everyone anyway. Focus on pleasing God rather than man. Notice that Jesus and Paul both speak about uh, these things in terms of reward. God will reward those who seek to please him. This doesn't mean that we earn our salvation, of course, but it does mean that there are rewards that God is ready to give to those who do their works unto him. Do what the Lord commands for him to see, not to be seen by others. We make it our aim to please Him, Paul says. That's the goal in everything that we do. The love of Christ controls us, not the approval of the crowds. In our gospel passage in Matthew 10, Jesus is sending out His disciples to proclaim the message of the kingdom that He's been teaching them up to this point. And He says, just as they persecuted Me, expect persecution yourselves. Okay, you're going to be like the master. You're going to receive persecution just like I did. In our passage in verses 26 through 33, Jesus tells them how to respond to this persecution and what their perspective should be about it. In short, he tells them whom they should fear. They are going out to proclaim the message boldly with no fear of these Jewish leaders who would seek to persecute them. The first reason that he gives for them to have no fear is that nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. One day, everything is going to be brought out into the light. Those who oppose the Lord will be shown for who they really are. And those who fear the Lord will be vindicated. All things done in secret will be brought out to the light. The next reason that he gives for them to have no fear is that their enemies have limited power. Okay, they can only kill the body. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. His followers have no need to be afraid of death or those who try to use death as a weapon against them. Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the Lord who has power over what happens to you in this life and in the next. Spurgeon has this great quote recounting the English reformer Hugh Latimer applying this text to his own life. Spurgeon says, It was bravely done by old Hugh Latimer 
when he preached before Harry VIII. He's talking about Henry, Henry VIII of England. It was the custom of the court preacher to present the king with something on his birthday. And Latimer presented Henry VIII with a pocket handkerchief with, the text, with this text in the corner. Whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. A very suitable text for Bluff Harry. And then he preached a sermon before his most gracious majesty against the sins of lust. And he delivered himself with tremendous force, not forgetting or abridging the personal application. And the king said that next time Latimer preached, the next Sunday, he should apologize and he would make him so mold his sermon as to eat his own words. Latimer thanked the king for letting him off so easily. When the next Sunday came, he stood in the pulpit and said, Hugh Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the high and mighty prince, Henry, king of Great Britain and France. If thou sayest one single word that displeases his majesty, he will take thy head off. Therefore, mind what thou art. But then he said, Hugh Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the Lord God Almighty, who is able to cast both body and soul into hell. And so tell the king the truth outright. And so he did. His performance was equal to his resolution. However, the king did not take off his head. He respected him all the more. The fear of the Lord gave him strong confidence, as it will any who cleave close to their colors. Latimer feared the judgment of God more than the judgment of powerful men. Christ says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Where are your loyalties? Are you embarrassed by the Bible? Or by more embarrassed by the thought of being disloyal to Christ? Are you willing to endure the shame and ridicule of the world when you acknowledge Christ before men? Do you fear being denied by the Father more than being denied by the culture? The last reason Jesus gives the disciples to have no fear is their heavenly Father's care for them. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Whatever your fears or worries may be, this is a great comfort and reason to fear the Lord above all else. For those who fear God as their Father, we have the confidence that He loves us as He loves His own Son. That nothing happens apart from His sovereign will. Not a single sparrow falling to the ground, not a hair falling out of place on your head without His say-so. If the Lord takes care of His smallest creatures, how much more will He take care of you who are made in His image and paid for with the blood of His Son? With God as our Father, we have nothing to fear. Should you fear God? We began by discussing two kinds of fears of God. A worshipful, reverent fear that moves towards God 
and a terrified, shame-filled fear that seeks to move away from God. This second kind of fear is a fear of God's wrathful judgment on our sin. Think of Adam and Eve hiding after they heard God coming. Or the people in the prophet Hosea speaks of who are crying for the mountains to fall down on them, the hills to cover them because of the coming judgment. John speaks of those who shrink away at Christ's coming, like little kids who hide under the bed or run into the closet when they know that they're in trouble. Should you have this kind of fear of God? Well, if you're living in unrepentant sin, if you despise God's word, you don't care about what it says, if your loyalties lie with the world and not with Christ, you should be afraid of God's judgment. Hebrews 10 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But thanks be to God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because Christ dealt with your sin and mine at the cross, and God condemned sin in the flesh, and declared Christ the righteous one at his resurrection from the dead, we who are united with him and share in that victory have no fear of punishment. We have a fear of God that we can take pleasure in, that we can take delight in. As Isaiah 11 says of Christ, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. We now share in that delight-filled fear of God. It's easy to think that our fear of the Lord, this reverence and awe that we have for God, only comes from His transcendence or His powerful attributes. But Psalm 130 captures another aspect of our fear of the Lord. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We have a fear that stands in awe of His forgiveness and His grace towards us. You had an enormous weight tied around your neck. You had a debt that could never be repaid for all eternity. And God paid that debt at the cross. And now you and I walk free and clear. Not only that, now we are called sons and daughters of God. You have a Father who cares for you and promises to never leave you or forsake you. Like Jesus said, you're worth more than the sparrows whom you're Heavenly Father takes such good care of. Will He not take care of you? Now that you have God as your Father, you fear Him as a son and as a daughter. Your fear of Him, a fear that drives you toward Him, not away from Him, your fear of Him trumps all other fears. 
We no longer have to carry around the fear that has to do with punishment because God's perfect love casts out that kind of fear. Like the church in Acts 9, we walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We have the filial fear of the Son, the fear that delights in our Father and seeks to please Him above all. We marvel at our great God with the church in Revelation 15 who say, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, O King of the nations. Who shall not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all the nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been made manifest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.